Welcome to the Digital Agency Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Englander. Today's show is sponsored by our company, Sales Schema. And for those that don't know, we are a fractional new business team built for agencies and marketing service companies exclusively. We've worked with more than 50 agencies. We've run over 7,000 campaigns. We've generated more than 3,000 qualified brand meetings, and we have consumed over 10 billion gallons of coffee. So over the next few months, you might be wondering if you should be selling to people if there is not a good, reasonable expectation that they are looking to buy, things are feeling touchy. Uh, Or you might be worried that if you approach your market in the wrong way, you might damage your brand. And these are all fair concerns, and they're all things that we are thinking a lot about. But at the same time, you know you have to prospect to keep your agency alive and to keep it thriving. And the effect of not doing anything isn't going to play out until 90 or 180 days down the road. And that's where things could lead to complete business stagnation if prospecting is not happening. So how do you balance these challenges? What's the right move in this uncharted territory? And we don't know exactly. But based on our experience, there are things that we are seeing already in the market. And there's things that we are seeing to be really effective both for ourselves and our clients to make sure that this activity is still maintained regardless of how bad this gets. So in the coming months, we are executing a new strategy and approach for our own prospecting and for that of our clients. Some of it is simply accelerating things that we were already planning and other things are approaches that are completely new. So to cover these, we recently did a live training with around 70 agency owners workshopping the strategy, going over it in depth uh, in terms of everything we're doing. And you can get access to that by going to saleschema.com slash crisis prospecting. Again, that's saleschema.com slash crisis prospecting. Some things we covered. We covered why thought leadership very well could be and probably is your highest leverage point right now. And we talked about specific things you can do for your agency to plug yourself into the right audiences right away. Uh, We also talked about repackaging services and positioning to close more deals as opposed to just knee-jerk price reductions and what our, our clients are doing well in that regard. And we also talked about, most importantly, effective crisis prospecting, what we have planned, um, our exact workflow, and actual examples of copy um, in terms of what's good and what we think is not very good right now. So again, to access this training, you can go to saleschema.com slash crisis prospecting. Again, that's saleschema.com slash crisis prospecting, one word. Today, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Cloudways. Cloudways is a managed cloud hosting platform that simplifies the agency hosting experience. The platform allows agencies to focus on their growth and have complete peace of mind with 24-7 support and flexibility to scale. Do you run an agency or have a mission-critical website? Then visit cloudways.com and use promo code DAN25. Again, that's D-A-N-25. That's a promo code exclusively for the Digital Agency Growth Podcast listeners to receive 25% off your first three months. So today on the show, we have Ryan Watson, who is principal at Upsourced Accounting. Uh, Ryan's been on in the past, and I'm really thankful to have him as a returning guest right now. For those who don't know, Upsourced Accounting serves agency client needs with an online full-service accounting, controllership, bookkeeping, and income tax solution. So this ended up being a super actionable interview. 
We talked about the importance of making dispassionate decisions in your agency without swerving to lack of humanity or without swerving to an unfeeling sort of mode of behavior. We talked about specific examples that Ryan sees in his world for the agencies that are approaching layoffs right now. We talked about who's doing this really well and who's doing this not so well um, and the sort of you know, more nuanced approach to this as opposed to just blanket pay cuts or, or blanket furloughs or anything like that. We got into closed book versus open book policies and why the latter is probably the right move. And we talked about the specific financial levers that are available to your agency right now that probably uh, aren't so obvious, that are going much further than just the PPP loans and so on. So I think you're going to get a whole lot out of this. I definitely encourage you to hit up Upsource and to hit up Ryan uh, if you're looking for this sort of help right now. And without further ado, please give it up for Ryan Watson. Ryan, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, rather nice to have you back again. I think. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. Returning number two. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 nice to be able to say that. We've somehow the time flies. And we've got enough uh-huh. to have return return guests. This <laughs> that's right. It's how you know you've made it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that, but it's, uh, it's not a bad. Thing, so. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously, you know, we're in interesting times and blah 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 and the, the usual aphorisms that we all say at this point. Uh, yep. And, and you, you've got a unique insight into all of this kind of being in the trenches with, with the books and with the hard financial decisions. And, you know, it's funny, like when, when I was in, in a startup sort of in like a previous life and I was tasked with bookkeeping, um, I, I remember thinking it was going to be really boring and it kind of was for me, but yeah. I, I found it to be more interesting than I, I imagined it would be. And I think that uh-huh. it's sort of weird how the numbers tell their own story in a way that you can kind of only understand once you get into it a little bit. Yeah. Switch. Yeah. 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 I think that's, I mean, yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I, I would say, um, uh, bookkeeping as like an idea or a discipline is sort of, uh, we've always described as a means to an end, right? So we'll, account, we'll sell accounting services or somebody will do accounting services and in and of itself, it's not all that uh, interesting or fun or, but, but ultimately it is a means for us to be able to then make an, a data driven uh, evaluation and decision around what we should do next with your particular business. And so particularly in times like this where, Again, the, you know, the, the world has changed. It, it, the only thing that is certain is that nothing is certain. We're doing an awful lot of modeling exercises, right? Which is to say, okay, you know, here's where we live today. At the beginning of the year, we thought, you know, 2020 was going to look something like this, right? We had a budget or some sort of expectation of the future. And now we're running all kinds of scenarios to say, all right, well, if X, Y, and Z occur, then, you know, net profit looks like this, and the decisions we need to make are this. And if A, B, and C happen, it's a whole set of circumstances that are different. And so anyways, it's a long way of saying, you can't do any of that stuff if you actually don't have a foundation of information on which you can uh, use to inform that exercise. So anyways, yeah, it's a, it's a means to an end to be able to do the stuff that we have to do right now so we can plan on how we're going to react if uh, the economy reopens and it looks more like a V than a swoosh, or if we sort of sputter around the bottom and, and the economic recovery looks like an L shape and we're here for a long time and we need lots of runway to keep the business afloat, right? We, we need to be able to run both those scenarios. Yeah. And I was looking down on my phone, not because I was, I was looking at text or something, but because it reminded me of this, uh, this diagram I read today in an article by Scott Alexander from Slate Star Codex. It's just, if you're not reading it, it's just a fantastic 
blog. Yeah. It's basically, the, I'll have to post it in the show notes, but maybe it'll show up there, but it's basically a goofus and gallant, uh, like, like, riff and it's you know goofus treats new ideas as false until somebody provides incontrovertible evidence that they are true gallant does cost benefit analysis analyses and reasons under uncertainty you know so i think that's like we should share that out too yeah (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. exactly it's it's fantastic and scott scott alexander is talking about it in context with the the mask debate and that sort of thing and yeah yeah which is funny uh, funny rabbit hole, but um, no. yeah, no, I think, I think that's a hundred percent perfect. And, and it's, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, again, we have, we're getting all kinds of questions around, uh, you know, can we hire a person? Should we lay some folks off? Should we take additional debt, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, it's not to say that we have perfect information or we, there's an, ob- there's an obvious answer for any particular client. Um, but we can certainly model out the scenario and say, all right, well, risk adjusted. This is what we think the future looks like if you do this or this. And we can look at this, the information and say, all right, we, we feel reasonably confident we should not well, hire the person or do, you know, what, either, either <laughs> whatever the outcome is. Yeah. And one thing we've talked about and something you've, you've covered a lot is the importance of making dispassionate decisions. What does that look like in your world? Well, right. And so, you know, again, I'd say, um, you know, I'm not saying something new necessarily. Generally speaking, agencies are Mm -hmm. lagging indicators from an economic standpoint. We're kind of downstream from the downstream of of consumers. And so I'd say, and I don't know if you would agree with this, Dan, or not, but from our perspective, our clients are, you know, mostly doing okay, right? I mean, it's definitely a mixed bag. There's a handful of folks in industries that have been impacted in a a big way and, and they're, they're, struggling a little bit more, but, you know, on average, our clients have seen some, you know, contraction, but they've also seen some growth in other areas. They're doing okay. Meaning the world hasn't necessarily ended. There's there, we haven't seen mass layoffs. In fact, I was talking to Carl Smith last week from the Bureau of Digital and he had, he'd run a lot of really good polls, which with some information I thought was really interesting. So he had done a, a, a poll of, I don't know, 180, 200 agency owners he found about 8% had experienced layoffs, which is not zero, but it's not tr- tremendous, right? Um, and um, he, he had also, he, they, they do like an ongoing Slack poll of just mem- bureau members. And basically just says like, how are you feeling this week? I don't know what the actual term is, but uh, yeah, the same, worse, better. And he was saying last week was the first time uh, in, the, in the last six weeks where more people were feeling better then we're feeling worse. There's a bit of an uptick in optimism and at a minimum we're, we're kind of steady state. And I say all of those to say um, right now for most agencies, we're doing okay and we can approach our situation relatively objectively. And this is exactly the time where we need to be making plans for the variety of potential scenarios that might occur, right? Because right now the future looks steady to okay. And so again, what, we, what we've been coaching our agencies to do is to create milestones, if you will. So, I mean, just perfect example, let's, or a standard example, let's just say I'm doing, you know, $100,000 in revenue, give or take in any given month. And, you know, I, chur- I, I that, that kicks out 20% net profit margin, right? So I'm taking $20,000 to the bottom line. And let's just say, for instance, you know, I'm okay in uncertain times with that getting down to 10%, right? Um, Okay, fine. So then we have to ask ourselves, okay, if things happen and that 100 becomes 
$85,000. Okay. And, and now I go from $20,000 to $8,500 of net profit. Am I okay with that? And if not, what do I need to do in that event? In the event that we get to $85,000, what are some levers I can pull? Natural, easy levers might include profit sharing, right? In a world where profits are declining to zero, if you have a profit share, you're probably not gonna pay it anyway, so you pull that away. Other things like variable comps, um, that might be something that you take away as well. And then you've got some things that look like, um, you know, these quasi-discretionary roles, right? You've got uh, perhaps um, in-house IT, in-house CFO, in-house executive assistant, small things like that, where they're, you know, nice to have, and it's a little self-serving for me to say some of this, but they're nice to have, but maybe not the, the best use of funds when your revenue is declining. And, and then, you know, at that point, your levers look a little bit harder to pull. They look like more meat. They look like actual, you know, role players that, that you may have to lay off. And, and so my point of all of this is to say right now, when revenue looks like a hundred thousand dollars and there's no reason to believe it's going to fall off a cliff, let's just plan for what we would do if it did. So let's plan for what we would do at 85. Let's plan for what we would do at 60 because we can be dispassionate right now, because I can guarantee you when you go from a hundred thousand in revenue to 85 or 60, in a matter of four or six weeks, you are not feeling dispassionate. You're feeling erratic. You're feeling panicked. And, and there's a high likelihood that you're going to make rash decisions that you wouldn't have otherwise made. So build the road back now. Put it in a desk drawer. Hope, hope to goodness you never have to open it up. But if you do, then you have the playbook and you just follow it and you don't have to, you don't have to let emotion get in the way. So yeah. that's, that's yeah. what I mean. Yeah. And I think you touched on something interesting there. And it's this idea that, you know, if there was this this cruel and unusual God that was trying to engineer an experiment to just accelerate every trend that was already in motion forward two years or three years or five years, this seems like the event that does it. <laughs> from moving from in-person to digital. And then, you know, we're talking about these kind of myopic issues of business, but then there's, there's bigger ones that we could probably talk about for hours. Um, but, you know, the idea of, working with in-house people, people that, that you know in a traditional way versus small teams of specialists in other places. And to me, that seems like the biggest, the biggest shift that's going to happen is this idea of, you know, everybody's kind of an outsider now because everyone is working remotely. So it's like if you, you and your colleague are in different places, why couldn't somebody else in a different place with even more specialty, with even a better economic model for handling the problem, um, just as easily take that spot? Yeah, you're, you know, I mean, you're, you're 100% right. And you, you're bringing up an interesting, again, theoretical debate. And I don't know that we have perfect answers to this. But you know, there is a there is a prevailing wisdom, or maybe wisdom is the wrong word, but punditry of folks who believe and in, in Naval uh, Ravikant, I think is I can never yeah. pronounce the last name. But yeah, uh, he's on the he's on the opinion that, uh, you know, let's say some some amount of years in the future, we all look like fractional knowledge workers, right? We just are a, a bunch of people who are, you know, the gig economy has, has sort of become all encompassing and pervasive. And it's a bunch of individuals that form small tribes moving from project to project. That's not unlike the Hollywood model that's, that has been sort of kicked around in the agency space for a while. And whether or not that is true, like the future looks perfect. I, I mean, I'm, I personally don't believe that the future looks perfectly fractional. Um, I think human nature is such that we, we want more permanency and we want specific teams, but there make no mistake. It's going to be winner take all situations. There's going to be consolidation. You know, that's exactly, that's exactly right. There's right. There's too many incentives to the reverse, but, but, but you're totally right that 
things are accelerating to enable that model to occur much more often and prevalently than before. And so where it's easy and where it makes a lot of sense, you know, there's the idea of like skill players and role players. I'm stealing that I think from, uh, from David Baker, but um, it doesn't necessarily just apply in, in, in agencies. It applies everywhere, but to the extent you have a highly specialized individual, a skill player, um, again, this is super self-serving, but I, you know, CFO or HR or something like that, where you need somebody who is a mile deep and an inch wide, you might not need them for 40 hours a week. And in fact, you know, forcing them to get wider and spend more time is actually less efficient. These, the, the, what is occurring right now is making it an awful lot easier for us to start engaging with those kinds of people in those ways. And I do think that will continue to happen. So I do think we're moving toward a hybrid model that the folks like Naval are, and, and even David Baker to some degree are, are suggesting might happen. I a hundred percent agree. We are accelerating that trend. I don't think we're going to go all the way there. I really don't, but yeah, we're moving in that direction. And that's, that's good. I think, I think that's good for everybody. I think, I think it is too. And by the way, uh, if you can't sell on this show, I don't know where you can sell. So. Okay. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, so, but, but I guess I would say, yeah, I think, I think it is trending in that direction. Um, what, what I wonder about is, you know, how, how much coasting people are going to be able to do in the future. Cause there was all, there was always this sense of if you were in a, in a job, you could kind of coast for a while. You could do the bare minimum and where this is going to lead into, you know, my, my next question. Uh, but I think that's going to be a lot harder. And I think a lot of, you know, this idea of the entrepreneurial employee is going to become even, even more important than it has been for the last X years. I could not agree with that sentiment. I couldn't agree with that sentiment more. Yeah. Which is good. We're taking some, uh, some slack and some inefficiency out of the system. And I think that rewards a players. I think it, it allows those who are, who are specialists to rise to the top and, and frankly make more money. And, and it allows businesses to buy exactly what they need when they need it more flexibly and and on balance probably cheaper right since they're they're only buying the highly efficient output and not the sort of mixed bag the aggregate output right right exactly and i do think there's there's some downsides you know like you're not going to get the perfectly tailored fit glove but it's going to be just it's going to be good enough you know i think i think yeah a lot of that like when you buy something off the shelf there's always then if you made it handmade in your artisanal shop in the back of your house or something so (laughs) if that even does which it doesn't no i think that makes sense yeah um so i I guess the the to kind of bring this down to earth a little bit for the that that you're which which i hate to do because you know i love information (laughs) but for the for the agencies that do have to deal with layoffs what would you suggest who are the people that are handling this well versus maybe not so much yeah. So, I mean, I guess uh, I, well, I'll give you some generic uh, like tips that I would say, if you find yourself in this position, here's some things. And then, you know, I can, I can give you some examples of folks that we've, you know, that, that um, clients of ours who have unfortunately had to go through this and some things they've done well. So a couple of things I would say, the first is just um, be human, be transparent. Right. I mean, it, it, I think this, I think this is um how businesses handle themselves through these uh, through this particular time is going to be a defining characteristic for them in the future, both of its internal culture as well as its ability to recruit. So make sure you're handling this with a great, as, as great of a degree of humanity as possible. And, and when I say that, I mean things like offer as soft of a landing as possible, right? So consider severance. And that's a dovetail into, you know, I, there's definitely this, um, uh, 
momentum or this inertia to try to wait as long as possible, right? Like you don't, you feel like laying staff off is a really negative thing. And of course it is. And you want to delay that decision as long as humanly possible, holding out for some sort of moonshot that, you know, you get, you land a whale and you don't have to, but in, in reality, that's not going to happen. And what you're going to do is make it an awful lot harder for you to offer a soft landing to those that you ultimately have to, to, uh, you have to lay off. So I'd say the more humane thing to do is when it's, when it's become abundantly clear that you're going to have to do it, go ahead and do it and use some of that excess cash flow to, to, again, to provide two weeks, four weeks, whatever is appropriate given, you know, their, their tenure and their seniority, but make sure you're, you're, um, you're considering that. The other thing I would say is, of, this is also kind of goes along with the delaying the inevitable is avoid the death by a million cuts, meaning like, all right, I'm going to lay one person off and let's hope it's just that one person. And then in three weeks, it's like, all right, I'm going to have to lay another person off. But I really think this is the end. And then four weeks later, you have to lay another person off. Like that's really short-term planning. And, and there's just no way in the world that, you know, it, when you make the first layoff, it's not highly likely and pretty clear that you're, you're at risk for one or two more. And that just becomes a morale killer. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's obviously distracting for the management team and there's all sorts of down things, but man, there's just nothing that takes the wind out of the sails of a team, like yeah. sitting on pins and needles. Like, am I going to be next? Are we going to do more? I mean, it's just, there's a trillion reasons why that's bad. Um, and so then I'd say, uh, and I'll transition this to like a live example of, of a client that um, has, I think, done this really well because, you know, the, your, your goal is to, to do it once, make sure it's sufficient uh, so that it is the only time, and then immediately get to the idea of rallying who, those that remain uh, together uh, so that you can, you know, recover together. And so this, this particular client... I think uh, they, the, you know, in their situation, they were in a very, they were in the hospitality and event space. So highly impacted. They were a technology play in this space, uh, highly, highly impacted. And so, you know, it was clear to them that they had to make layoffs and it was primarily in, in sales specifically, just given there's, there's literally nowhere to hunt right now for them. Um, so they, they, they had a, a reduction in staff in that area. And then, um, in order to prevent having to do more layoffs, they chose to reduce the salary across the board. And I will tell you, um, there's a lot of debate on the, on the wisdom of that. There's, you know, the counter argument to that idea is that when you lower all of your, your wages across the board, A players are like, well, look, I can make a full salary elsewhere, so I'm just going to leave. So it becomes a regressive idea. However, I think what they did was really good in that, it, you know, the, the reduction in salary was paired with layoffs. So I think everybody realized, okay, this is, this is in lieu of this is so we can do less layoffs. So we're kind of in it together. They, they reduced salary at the leadership level by 2x what they reduced at the staff level. So there was definitely this feeling of we're all in it together truly. And then they added some upside on the other side of the recovery. So first they, they time bounded the, the reduction in salary. So effective one, one, 2021, everybody's salary goes back to normal. And then they added in their case, some stock options. So they said, look, we're going to give everybody stock options in this business. And so now we're, you've got some non-cash compensation that ideally could, could pay out even more. So again, we're all in it together, but for agencies where stock options don't really make a lot of sense, there's all sorts of things you can do to gamify the recovery. So cash bonuses at specific milestones, uh, whether they're- Sorry, are those external yeah. milestones or milestones in the company? Well, yeah, that's a really good point. I think in their case, uh, 
my recommendation would be internal milestones, co- company milestones. So not necessarily economic milestones as in, you know, the, the economy reopens, but either it's tied to revenue. So we hit this revenue mark and then that revenue mark, or it's tied to the quantity of customers or it's tied to bringing back some customers who were maybe paused or any number of things. But the, the idea that, you know, you just sort of gamify the, the, your growth out of where we are. And again, that helps everybody sort of buckle down, see the light at the tunnel. It makes it very tangible. It also adds a level of transparency. So we all get the score and we know where we're at. Um, and I think that can help. I think, and I think pairing all those things together can really work well. Obviously, we don't have the benefit of the hindsight yet. This happened you know, three weeks ago. But from what we can tell, it was received incredibly well uh, internally. And, and I just think there's a lot of things to like about it. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I guess one challenge that I've had in my company is keeping these systems from becoming too complex and too hard to understand. Uh, And everyone's just kind of forgets about them and it's kind of in in a gray area. Is there anything that you've seen in terms of communication to prevent that? Well, I mean, yeah. So we, we, we face this not just with, um, you know, now, but like just the idea of variable comp, right? Like we, we, we advocate for creating variable comp for as many folks as you can the number one problem is, and I would suspect this is perhaps why you feel this way, is that people love to over-engineer this stuff. So they're just like, well, I want to incentivize seven different things, and it would be a miss if I didn't have them all in this plan. And so your, your comp is based on this, 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 and this. And then it just becomes, it's, it's so far removed from the actual work you're doing. It just becomes this intangible thing that's like, all right, it's great if it happens. I can't possibly just mentally calculate where I'm at. And so I don't know. So it doesn't, it doesn't affect behavior. And that's the big problem. And so my recommendation is to keep it super simple. Pick one, maybe two metrics that you're looking at anyways, that it's just part of the, it's part of the culture. It's, it's part of the performance management of the company. And again, like, you know, in this particular area, revenue is not a bad thing to pick rate per hour is a fine thing to pick if that's another thing that you're talking about often or utilization or whatever it is, but make it simple and and make it something that's already naturally occurring or else, like you said, it's just too easy to throw it out there and then forget about it and then never talk about it again. And then it becomes counterproductive because then it just becomes this bonus that, that doesn't impact behavior, but it's extra money, right? So it's sort of the worst of both worlds. You spend more money to get the same results and you certainly don't want that. Yeah, and, and I think the, the overarching theme here is preventing uncertainty. You know, that's, we all yeah. kind of know that. We all kind of know that's what we're up against. But I think, you know, as owners, sometimes we forget what it's like to be an employee uh, in the midst of that uncertainty. So it sounds like your better clients are the ones that are, are least letting people know what to expect it in different situations should they play out. And I think that that's the most important thing. Well, yeah, it, it definitely gets on the idea of transparency, right? And, and transparent, I mean, I would say the, the one thing I would say, so I'm a, I'm a big advocate of, of be as transparent as humanly possible. I mean, there's very few things that I can think of that I would not recommend sharing with your organization, but only if that's natural and only if that's something that, that it works with the culture that you've created, this isn't a new idea. I'm borrowing this advice from others, but uh, the idea of being as transparent now as you plan to be in the future is definitely something to consider and live by. So what you don't want to do is over communicate now. And then as things improve, you start to pull that communication away from folks because then it'll feel like uh, you've, you've 
trust has been eroded or, or the culture has shifted or whatever. So again, I, I think transparency can really help. I think a lot of folks assume that people either don't care, like ah, finances, revenue, cash, like that's boring, or that they don't understand it. So they'll mishear or misinterpret the data and they'll get worried when they shouldn't. And I will just tell you in my experience anyway, and I've done this with a bunch of clients, we tend to, um, we tend to under, um, we tend not to give enough respect or we, 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 um, uh, employees generally are better with this than we, we give them credit for. Right. And so I've never seen, I mean, generally employees are more thoughtful in these situations. They ask more questions. They're much more interested and willing to learn it's their livelihood. Right. And, and so, um, they want to know this stuff and they're generally pretty mature with the information that they get. And so I've yet to really see it backfire in a big way. Um, but, uh, that, you know, that's, it's, yeah, it's a decision I, for everybody. I believe that a hundred percent. And that's, that's been my experience. And I, and I also think that, you know, teaching is learning. Uh, I found it to be really clarifying in my own understanding of, of our books. Yeah. They're going, yep. when I explain it to somebody else and that, you know, yeah. bears repeating, I think. Um, yep. I, I guess to talk a little bit more about, about closed books. So if you're an agency that's never done this before, what's, what's the right way to approach it? How do you show people the right things when to when you say how do they approach being transparent and talking about their finances or yeah, what, like what, what documents are they showing what level of transparency is helpful what's what's too much well yeah and that actually is quite a good question so um again i would i would first of all this is a decision that everybody has to make personally I would argue that individual salaries are probably the one thing that's pretty awful in this. Like I, I don't see like in our own firm and even in, in and even with many of our clients, there's there, I, I love the idea of transparent salaries in that for this level, we pay this amount of money and we don't negotiate. That's just our policy, right? I think buffer and some other folks in the, in the space are, are very clear about that. And I like that, but there's no reason to say like Timmy is officially making this and Sally is officially making that. I don't see that that's appropriate. But other than that, I think everything is because the reality, like, you know, a lot of agency owners are like, well, but then our, our employees are going to realize how much money we're making and then they're going to ask for more. They're going to be resentful or and that's like, that's crazy. They're not, you're really underestimating the intelligence of your employee base. If you don't think they can Google around what the margins of an agency are like, they get it. I mean, they're not silly, you know, they're not stupid. And if they don't get it, you probably don't want them working at your, your agency, but I'd say, so I think pretty much every, like, again, for me, I, I like the idea of, of sharing uh, revenue uh, and margin. So generally I like to talk about gross margin because that's an evaluation of how we're delivering our service. Are we delivering it profitably? Meaning our utilization is good. Our rate per hour is good. Or are we delivering it unprofitably, which creates an action as well. I like to call to action for us to improve a couple of these metrics um, getting further down into net profits and how much we're spending on rent and stuff like that. It's just kind of boring and it doesn't, it's not, it's, I guess what I'm trying to say is keep it to things that the employee base can either understand it impact, it affects them or they can impact. So profitability, gross margin is something they can impact. Revenue is something they can impact. Um, I personally also like to talk about cash. Like I like to talk about, uh, how comfortable we are about our own runway and that, that, in, that affects how uh, risk averse or risk seeking we can be when it comes to certain opportunities. And I think it helps dial in our employees' risk seeking or risk aversion, depending on you know, when, when they're in a position to make certain decisions on our behalf as well. So 
I think talking about those things are good. My advice would be not to put up a balance sheet or an income statement and to talk about that because that's just opaque. And I'd say most employees are going to gloss over. They don't know how to read a financial statement. Just turn it into a graph, like make it a picture. And if, if uh, you know, we, I've had a lot of success, you know, with like a, a very simple bar line graph mixture where like positive bars are revenue, negative bars are expense. And you've got this line over time that's just like cash. And people get that. It's super easy to see. Like it tells, you know, much of the story that they would care about. Um, and then you can, you can show different versions of that graph if you want to, you know, paint a picture for your employees about what the future might look like, you know, and it's, it's easy to comprehend. And like I said, I think it tells the story. So simplify that information, but I'd say it's all fair game personally. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I'm also curious about, about the edge cases a little bit. Like we've had lots of questions that have been the sorts of questions you might expect from a day trader. Like what niche should we focus on? What, what industry should we go after in the midst of all this? And our answer is usually <laughs> something like, if you're asking that question now, it's sort of too late because those industries are going to work with the agencies that already have so much experience in their space because they're not going to waste it on a newcomer. Um, so I guess with that in mind, are there any situations that you're seeing in, in your world where agencies should be more aggressive? You know, the idea of being offensive when others are defensive and now's your chance to actually take a break. Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, that's a, I'd say that's an interesting question and it, 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 it boils down to, um, I'd say a couple things. Um, thing number one is um, how solvent are you? So we've definitely got a few clients that are inordinately solvent, like on good times, almost too much. So, right, where you'd say you're probably holding on to too much cash, should be deploying that uh, for, you know, ROI endeavors, right? Um, but right now that actually works out quite well, right? So if you're sitting on a bunch of cash or you're sitting on a really low interest debt facility or something like that, uh, and you find yourself with, things to spend it on, meaning uh, additional market share or M&A. So M&A is definitely a thing that we're, we're I, I would, I'd be lying if I told you we're hearing, we're seeing a lot of it happen. We're, we're not, but we're definitely hearing more people start to think about it. Like if, it, you know, to the extent that you've got um, agencies that have really strong market positions that have really talented teams who might not have been as solvent as you might not have been as prepared for a downturn as you, but otherwise a really healthy, valuable agency. That's something that you as an agency sitting on a bunch of cash can and should probably think about. So the first thing is, do you have the wherewithal and the finances to even consider being aggressive? And then I think the other thing is um, you for everyone, and you'd probably, this is probably more your domain than me, but for everyone, I think now is a, core, like a very key opportunity to be aggressive in your investment, in your internal marketing and positioning and your internal processes. So again, when I say, when I use the word aggressive, I just mean there is no excuse for any of us to emerge from this thing, not being the best version of ourselves we've ever been, right? Like if you are finding yourself with a little bit more time and a little bit more uncertainty, this is the time to look inward and say, yeah, that's going to become repeatable. Yeah, we're going to define who we are and what we mean. And we're going to actually build an outbound program or we're going to actually create some inbound content that we can leverage. Like you have the time and the ability. And so, you know, that's a form of aggression of, 
maybe aggressive, aggression is the wrong word, but investment, a form of investment that I think you can absolutely be making that you may not be able to take advantage of right now, but by all means, as things start to swing back, you should be better positioned than you've ever been. Right. I think that's really important. Um, and, and I guess beyond that, one thing you touched on is, is, is the cash question. And we've talked a little bit, a bit, a bit about this, but how can agencies best preserve cash in ways they might not be uh, envisioning at first? Yeah. Okay. So that's a good question. Um, so a couple of things I'll start by saying, like in terms of, you know, what is an appropriate amount of cash? I'd say the couple of things to keep in mind. One is your, um, you know, most of our agencies are flow through entities in some way. They're either S-corps or they're partnerships. And so you're, you as individuals, owners are going to have a tax burden. You all know this. And so I would make sure that you know what that tax burden looks like and that's set aside, right? So that, that doesn't even count. That's, that's spoken for. And then beyond that, you know, ideally two to three months of cash flow is, um, is kind of the rule of thumb. And so, um, you know, if, if, if you're, if you're there, great. If you're not there, that's your, that's where, that's where you're looking for. Um, so then how do you increase your cash? I mean, there's no silver bullet here, so I'm probably not going to say anything that folks haven't like intuitively thought about, but, um, I'd say the first thing is, you know, the, the common things you can do are lengthen your payable cycle, shorten your receivable cycle. So with regard to lengthening your payable cycle, work with vendors. Everybody's in the same situation. So, um, you know, again, if you've got recurring relationships, if there's opportunities to uh, defer some of your payments, um, again, like in Ohio, for instance, you can defer your health insurance premium payments. Uh, we all have the ability to defer our payroll taxes through the end of the year. And again, like as it relates to rent, as it relates to any other vendor relationships, you should ask to what degree can you extend um, you can extend those payments. And then for, uh, with regard to cash coming in, I'd say look for opportunities to accelerate payments. And so as you're thinking about signing new agreements, consider incentivizing, and it's not free, so it's going to cost a little bit of money, but incentivizing full payment upfront versus milestone or end of project, end of project billing, you know, consider giving up 3%, 4%, 5% to, for that benefit. But to the extent you have a client who has cash sitting around, that's a win-win. Um, the other thing, so, you know, again, that's the classic, you know, extend, compress, and, you know, you, you, you'll, uh, you come up with a little excess cash. The other thing that I would say is um, use debt. Use debt responsibly. This is a thing, I've mentioned David Baker once or twice, yeah, for anybody, which is probably many people who have listened to his webinars, you, you know, he advocates against taking on debt. And this is where he and I differ a little bit. I'd say, um, look, if you're the kind of agency that you've historically not been able to be responsible with debt and you take it and you're not planning for how you're going to repay it, then don't take debt, right? Like don't get, don't, don't put yourself in a hole, but all things being equal, if you've got, you know, $150,000 laying in the bank and you have uh, a, a line of credit you haven't drawn on for $150,000 and you need to pay for something that's, let's say, $50,000, all things being equal, you'd be better off paying for that with debt than you would be with paying, than you would be by paying with cash right now. Worst case scenario, take the debt, put, put the $50,000 of cash aside in another account or just bookmark it in some way so you don't spend it. But that way, it's there when there's a rainy day. Because right now, you've got a line of credit that you can draw on. But if things get worse and the thing comes up for expiration and the economy tanks, you may not have access to that. So where, when you're in a position that you are capable of borrowing money, do it. Because again, in the future, that might be gone. And if you 
don't have any more cash, you're out of optionality. But by leveraging debt today, you preserve optionality. Cash is the one thing you just cannot manufacture. It's the final thing you want to be clinging on to when things are rough. So it is the last thing. So again, all that to say, like, hang on to your cash, use debt, treat your cash as a rainy day. And then, uh, because in this, in this environment, whether it's a SBA sponsored loan or it's a traditional piece of credit, like interest rates have never been lower. So it's not going to be a punishing debt load or interest load if you were to take the loan anyway. So do that. Right. That makes a lot of sense. And I think we've, we've covered a lot of ground. Uh, I guess, is there, is there anything else that you think agency owners should be paying attention to now in the financial world or, or beyond it? Well, I guess the one thing I will say, um, it's a little bit of a soapbox for me, but I, I, it's hot button and every agency is thinking about it. And many of them who are our clients are asking us about it, which is with regard to the PPP loan. And I know you've had some folks on to talk about the PPP loan. So I won't go into like how to get it and what it means and all that kind of stuff. But the one thing I will say is it offers this wonderful thing called forgiveness. So if you get this PPP loan, the, the expenses you spend over the, the subsequent eight weeks, uh, should they you know, be payroll or rent or whatever, are forgivable. We get a lot of questions from agencies who want to maximize their forgiveness. So questions like, I've got a person who's not really doing anything, uh, but should I keep them on staff and keep paying them? Because if I do, it's forgiven. Or uh, I've, I, I have fewer employees this year than I did last year, so my forgiveness might be reduced. Should I hire a person just so I can get that forgiveness? The answer in both those situations is a resounding no. So I would just tell you, do not play games for the purpose of achieving PPP loan forgiveness. You are going to have to spend this money either way, whether you give it to this person who's giving you nothing in return or you give it to the government. But the benefit of waiting, giving it to the government is that it just becomes a, a loan that has this outrageously low interest rate, a two-year payback. And in the meantime, you can use it for things you actually need. So do that not getting full forgiveness is okay. It's a good thing. It's fine. It's a, it's a completely fine thing. So do that. Don't play games and try to maximize forgiveness and spend money on stuff you don't need. Yeah. I think that's, that's really important. And there's lots of uh, bad incentives <laughs> going in that direction a lot and so on. So well, sense. yeah. I mean, look, I get it. People are getting like, it's this irrational thing that happened. Everybody, you know, the people who have gotten are getting a ton of money they never expected and don't know why. And they're like, I don't know what to do with it. I don't want to ruin this great thing. So what should I do? And it's causing us to maybe ask or, you know, make a rational decision. So just sort of calm down and the decisions you would have made before this money are the decisions you should still make now. Nothing's changed. Exactly. That makes a lot of sense. Ryan, thank you so much for your time. Uh, how could people get in touch with you? Yeah. So uh, you can get us at uh, a couple things I'd say, upsourceaccounting.com. Um, we've got a YouTube channel, Upsource Accounting. Subscribe there. We put out our own videos uh, and you can certainly email me directly at rwatson at upsourceaccounting.com. Yeah, we'll get that linked up. And if you're thinking about bookkeeping change, and not bookkeeping, I'm sorry, con yeah. outsource controllership. You guys do your bookkeeping, controllership, CFO, the whole yeah. we do the whole thing. So we'll take your bookkeeping too. Yeah, yeah, but, but ideally a lot more because you guys are yeah. able to do that. So please get in touch with Ryan if you're looking for that sort of help. Thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. For sure. Thanks again for listening to the Digital Agency Growth Podcast. Thank you to our sponsors, first and foremost being our company. Uh, and again, as I mentioned at the beginning, in the coming months, we are executing a new strategy and approach for our own prospecting and for that of our clients uh, based on everything that's happening. And based on the fact that you might be wondering how to prospect effectively, how to make sure you're not hurting your brand, 
while knowing that it's something that must be done to keep your agency alive and thriving. So there's a lot of new things we're doing uh, in the training. We are covering thought leadership, how you can approach it and why it's your highest leverage point. We're talking about repackaging uh, instead of knee-jerk price reductions, and we're actually getting into actual copy and actual examples. So if you want to get your hands on that training, you want to get access to it, you can go to saleschema.com slash crisis prospecting. Again, that's saleschema.com slash crisis prospecting, one word. Again, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Cloudways. Cloudways is a managed cloud hosting platform that is loved by agencies around the world. With Cloudways, agencies can focus on growing their clients while we take care of all hosting-related complexities. Cloudways is offering an exclusive discount for the Digital Agency Growth Podcast listeners. Visit cloudways.com and use the promo code DAN25, again that's D-A-N-25, to receive 25% off for three months on the hosting plan of your choice. At the risk of sounding like everybody else in your inbox and on the so-called airwaves, stay safe, stay healthy, watch the news, but don't watch too much of the news. Thanks again, and until next time.